are listening to the Savage Fincast, episode 11. Who reads these gossip rags anyway? Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in his terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. And we're back to the Savage Fincast. I'm Jim Purcell. I'm Craig Olson. And I'm Raven. I'm Adam Pruitt. Adam, you're back. I'm back. Back in a big way. And we got the whole gang back together now, except for Gavin. Reunited, and it feels so good. When, uh, what was the last episode you were on, Adam? Like, two or three episodes ago? Uh, yeah, so at least that. It's been a little bit. I've been basically just extremely busy with work, and... Like I'm, uh, I work from home and I take care of my kid. Like, so I don't have a lot of free time most most of the time. Yeah, I hear that. Well, it's good to have you back on. It was episode six back in May. Wow. Yeah. Back when we were all like teenagers. Yeah. Grew up since then. (laughs) Still have my braces on. I'm getting there. (laughs) Man hair. So, uh, <laughs> Adam, since uh, you haven't been here in a while, you've been reading anything interesting lately? Uh, I have. Um, I just reread um, Ed the Happy Clown. Are you guys familiar with that at all? No, I haven't heard of that. I think I have. Who wrote? Who did that? It's a Chester Brown um, book. For, it, it was a. He's a cartoonist who in the. 80s he had a comic called yummy fur and uh it's just full of weird stuff and newspaper comic right no no a comic book oh and and um this was originally collected um i don't know sometime in the early 90s i don't remember who published the original version but it might have been fanographics or something this new one is a hardcover uh it's a super nice edition from uh drawn in quarterly who are, are pretty much my favorite publisher on the planet. And uh, it's just this beautiful edition. It, this story is so fucked up. It's this weird stream of consciousness tale, and it's extremely disturbing and funny, and um, it's about this guy named Ed who's a clown who has all these very weird and surreal things happen to him. And I just recommend it to everybody because, like, you got to sit down and like read it all in one sitting because it's just so strange. But it's one of my favorite comics ever, and so I was totally fine with double dipping and and you know buying the new edition again. And it's a beautiful edition, so much recommended. Ed the Happy Clown from Drawn and Quarterly. Nice. I like Drawn and Quarterly stuff. Yeah. Craig, what are you reading? Jim? Oh, what am I you reading? Go- yeah. So yeah, I've been um. Actually, a really surprising book came out of IDW recently uh, that really that really surprised me that I'd be a fan, uh, especially since IDW is not currently one of my favorite publishers, mostly because of 
how expensive they are, and a lot of them are licensed titles that honestly feel more like an excuse to publish uh, variant covers than actual comic content. But I took a chance on this one, and I have been pleasantly surprised, and that comic is Transformers Regeneration 1, which, if you don't know, is a direct continuation of the Transformers uh, comic series that Marvel did throughout the 80s and mid-90s. Uh, it picked up, I think, on issue 82, where the original series ended on 81. And it, it, you know, it's Transformers. And what's curious about, you know, my liking it is that I'm not really a huge Transformers fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I watched some of the cartoons as a kid. I own the toys, but I've never been really obsessive about it. I don't read all the, you know, other stuff out there. It's I tried it once and got my fill, and then I kind of put it aside. But I think what got me was... The writer, number one, is uh, Simon Furman, who, of course, wrote the original series. And I like Simon Furman. He created one of my favorite comic characters of all time, Death's Head. I don't know if you've ever read Death's Head. Yeah, I read the <laughs> it's original. It's weird. It's, uh, yeah. But I, I've always been a fan of Simon Furman, so as a writer, I gave it a chance. Um, it picks up Because it picks up on a series that I had not read before, I was you know skeptical that I'd be able to follow along. Fortunately, IDW had the good sense to republished the last four issues in a compilation book before uh, they re- they relaunched. So that helped mm-hmm. that a lot with getting into the flow of it. Because it takes place 20... And also it takes place 27 years uh, after the end of the last series. Wow. So a lot of things have changed. The big one being... Um, oh, man, it's tough. The ending of issue 82 is such a big twist. I don't really want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it because it's really kind of sets up the whole thing. But it just it just surprised me with how I don't know how old school, how classic the whole thing feels. Do they have like the human characters? Like I remember like from the cartoon like Spike and stuff. So are they like twenty seven years older? Spike Wickwicky is a major character of this current story arc, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, but he yeah. Um. Who's in it? Optimus Prime's in it, of course, and uh, Cup and the and the Wreckers. I don't know. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys, are longtime Transformers fans. I liked it when I was a kid, and I loved the movie. Yeah. Well, this definitely has more. Has the, you know, how the movie kind of feels more mature than the show. You know, just yeah. the, little, the the killing of characters, the the uh, I guess the swear word, like uh, in the DVD set. The the whole the, yeah. the chapter is called swear word. It's it. I think what who was it? It was a. Uh, I remember watching it in the movie theater with my cousin yeah. and just being like, what? Did he just swear? And right. geeking out over <laughs> it. But this series doesn't it, – it is good because it, it takes that sort of – it doesn't pull any punches. It's not afraid to kill off characters or really do really twisted things with the characters. And because it's not like tied into any TV shows or anything, Furman can really just go to town with like doing whatever the hell he wants. So it's, it, it's really – it's a series that really feels like where things can happen and they won't be reset I guess is what I'm trying to say. So it's got that kind of savage dragon thing where if characters die, they stay dead, or et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. It's it's just that's cool. It's just really surprising how much I liked it because, like I said, I'm not an IDW fan. I'm not a Transformers fan, but it's just it's just clicking with something really. I don't know. It's it's, it's like at the best components of like a classic superhero series that. So how did they sell you on it? Like since you were never like a fan, what made you just decide to pick it up? Geez, I don't know. That's that's it. I saw it previewed. Yeah. previews and I said hey new Transformers series continuation of Marvel series because I knew vaguely about the Marvel series I never yeah. read it but I knew enough about it 
I don't know. It's just I, I don't even know what sold me on it. I think Simon Furman and I think the the the, the interior art wasn't like this modern the interior art's something probably to talk about too. I'm probably going on a little too long about this, but it's got this I, I believe they got the original artist, or at least the artist that was still working on it at the time the series ended. So that's also mm-hmm. so it's it's a kind of a throwback really. If you read the other Transformers comics that IDW publishes, the art's all like modern and you don't get as many panels. You're like Dreamwave esque. Yeah, Dreamwave esque. It's very stylized. In this case it is stylized, but it's like in that eighties way. I guess I never liked those like kind of dream wave brought kind of a more rounded look to everything. Yeah. And I just, I didn't dig it. Yeah. Things are definitely more, um, blocky character designs are definitely more like they were, they could be toys, I guess they're actually, yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's got this very old school vibe to it. And I think that's what really grabbed me is that it wasn't trying to be modern. It's definitely trying to be a throwback to like those 80s sci-fi comics. Yeah, that's cool. That, you know, that. I think that's what grabbed me is that it's a sci-fi comic, really. It's yeah. an action-adventure sci-fi comic, and I always dig action-adventure sci-fi comics. In right, this case, right. it's just got that, uh, you know, the Transformers, you know, pulled me in. And I kind of like the idea that it was a relaunch of a series, it was a continuation, not a reboot. I always like that sort of thing. Cool. So, yeah, a lot of words about Transformers. Oh, sounds like, I mean, an awesome direction to take it. I mean, if you're going to touch on such an old property, I mean, that's kind of cool to do it that way. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that stuff as well. So, sweet. Greg, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading a bunch of books. Of course, I rambled on about a majority of the stuff I've been reading on past podcasts, but I've really been into... Joe Keating's Glory, and we had him on as a guest, I think back in, was it March or something, Um, when issue 23 was coming out, which is what he was starting his run on with Glory. Um, He took like a one-month hiatus, and now it's back with issue 29, and I've just really been digging this book. Uh, It's just a lot of different surprises. It's beautiful. Ross Campbell's art is just great to look at lots of different alien kind of creatures lots of violence lots of twists and turns don't you think he's just blowing it up on that book because he's not necessarily new but i mean i just feel like he is blowing up on glory yeah it's there's just so many different creatures for him to draw and just to go nuts on like just going crazy with his imagination i think that it's i think he's having a lot of fun with it and it shows the uh, first trade of that has come out already, right? Yeah, I believe because so. Because I may have fell asleep at the switch and I have not read it yet. I Man, will get on top of that soon. It's fun. I, I love Glory. It's so good. Yeah, the in the character, it's awesome. The Glory character is it's just so different than any other character that I've read. She's just like a beast of a woman, and like she just. Oh, she's like a warrior, and she's not attractive at all. And I think even as the series goes on, she gets less and less attractive. But it's fine; it works, and it's it's got weird situations. And yeah, I think I've kind of been getting that impression looking at the uh, previews and solicitation info about it. Her character design seems to be getting more and more, I guess, non-feminine as time has gone on. Yeah, it's cool. I, this new issue twenty nine's got a few shocking scenes, which are actually pretty cool and something I haven't seen really in a comic before. So I don't know. I'm I'm just really digging it. It's 
like a fresh take on a you know on a super, I feel like a, superhero character. The last one I saw, like she had called in her sister, which was a big surprise. And I guess are they an issue past that or? Um, yeah. Well, I think so. If that's the, the new issue, just came out last week, and her sister's in it. And I think her sister okay, appeared so. in the issue before at the end or something. Yeah, well, there you go. I guess I'm an issue down. Right on. Yeah, and and Jen, it's I mean this work. It's almost more like a sci-fi comic than a superhero comic in a way too. Really? It, you're reading Profit, right, Jim? Oh yeah. If it's right in line with that man. Huh. Yeah. All right. So, I'll uh, check it out for certain then. Yeah, I mean it's fun. I, I I I'm really really enjoying it. I'm enjoying the art and the storytelling, and uh, I think it's the real deal. So. I will stop there before I ramble on too much. <laughs> How about you, Raven? You got anything new? It's been slim pickings lately because I've been on like a savage dragon hunt. So I actually have been buying so much of that that I've only got six issues to go until I'm finished. So that's awesome. But You're like, what, back issues? Yeah, yeah. Like, So that's like where all my comic dollars been going. Is so it I'm all... the main series or like all the spinoffs? Uh, the main series. Yeah, so I've, I've kind of like my comic dollars not been going to much else, but I'm almost finished with that. So like very little to talk about, but uh, what I'm really like reading, the one of the few things I'm reading that's not like Savage Dragon is this uh, manga called Bakuman, which is, it's the weirdest concept for a thing ever, but uh, it's surprisingly awesome. It's a comic about comic creators. Oh, is that the one by the Death Note guy? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Which, if you don't know, Death Note's like Death Note's like the Walking Dead of manga. Like you could show Walking Dead to people who don't read comics, and they're probably gonna like it and read it. Like you could show Death Note to people that don't like manga, and they're gonna probably like it. So these guys are talented anyway, and this comic about comic creators shouldn't be good because it's just people sitting around talking about making comics. God, it's so awesome. It's great. If you make comics, you're like. You should probably read it. And if you don't make them and you want to kind of know about it, like what goes into it and the level of dedication and stuff and like how it like consumes your life away, but you don't care because it's awesome and fun for you, you should read it. it it's good. It's it's surprisingly good. And they play it pretty straight. It's not like no fantastic elements to it or anything like that. There's, sadly, there's, fanta- there's fantastic elements like right out of the gate. The concept is that it's like, when they start, they're high school kids, and the series progresses in, like, extremely rapid time. Like, they're, like, already out of college now, and it's only been, like, eight books. But, like, uh, yeah, like, when it starts, the fantastic element is that they're so young, and they're, like, getting in there and doing stuff. But, I mean, uh, it's pretty much, it's comedy with a little bit of, like, there's some drama every now and then, but it's more laughs. I don't know. There's a real romance element. I mean, it's kind of all over the map. Like I said, it's one of those things that shouldn't be good. But if you start reading it, you probably fall in love in no time. And it is cool for that insight, even though there is there are fantastic elements. Like it kind of like really shows you a good insight. You probably didn't even realize to like that whole scene over there because they talk a lot about the editorial process and. You know, I had no idea that series over there get the axe by like reader votes in the anthologies. Yeah. And I had no idea, like, yeah, readers, the readers vote yeah. on what's in the book. Comics, and if the votes aren't there. Their comic scene is a bit interesting, and it's uh, how it works. It's about, it's a lot different than how it goes on over here. 
It's cool. It's really it's it's. I thought I knew a bunch, and I guess I just didn't know crap. So, what what's <laughs> the name of the title again? I'm probably saying it wrong. There's probably like because I never like bothered to learn to pronounce things right. Yeah. But it's B A K U M A N, and it'll probably say from the creators a Death Note on it. It's only got like 15 volumes out or something. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely worth a read. And like I said, if you make comics or something. It's one of the few things I've ever seen, like, in print or TV or anywhere that really I just read it and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I super relate to this stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah fun. it's fun. It's a fun read and weird. <laughs> That's cool. Well, uh, I can't wait to get that out. More American stuff. It's for, just from Shonen Jump. That's, like the same guys that do. Dragon Ball and One Piece and all that crap. Yeah, it's Viz Media. They publish all that stuff. Oh, yeah. They're the Marvel DC rolled into one yeah. of Japan. Well, yeah, well, yeah. They're, they're the U.S. publishing arm. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, it's good, though. I read a bunch of manga from Viz. I'll talk about some of them. You reading Bakuman? No, I don't read Bakuman. I read uh, 20th Century Boys. Oh, yeah. Whoa, that's a good book. We'll uh, talk about that at some other future point. <laughs> yes. Much beloved. So, should we move on and talk about some Eric Larson news? Let's do some news. All right. First uh, piece of Eric Larson news is uh, a biggie. The um, worst kept secret. Yeah. Well, it turns <laughs> out Eric Larson bought the ant character from Mario Gully. Um, after much fan speculation, Eric announced earlier this month that he did indeed purchase the character. And in regards to the future of the character, Eric stated that he didn't want to simply dump her into Savage Dragon and have her become another supporting character. Um, and his thoughts were that he'll either wrap up the book where Mario left it and then do a miniseries or something and possibly an ongoing um, since then, he's posted a bunch of images on Facebook, which look like layouts to like a new issue, and he did a few logo tests, which he's got like an old school looking ant logo, which looks pretty cool. And also recently, I think he said that what might happen is Mario Gully will do like the 12th issue of uh, Ant, because on the second volume, I believe, it, it came out through Image, and it was like 1 through 11. And then they did like a third volume, but that's not going to be in canon for what Eric owns. So um, I think Larson said that Gully's going to wrap up the the image series with an issue 12, and then Eric was going to start um, either a mini series or an ongoing. And if Mario couldn't get 12 out fast enough, he would just reboot it, you know, and, and then let Mario get his at issue 12 out whenever you know he could get it out. So that's that. I think I I have the first couple of issues of Ant from like 2005 when it came out through Image because it had like arachnid in it. And I think Eric was actually helping Mario with layouts back then. But I'm not too familiar with the character. I didn't collect it past issue two. And from what I've seen and heard from Eric, it sounds like he's going to play the character a little different than uh, how Mario had her. And it, and it almost seems like he's going to be like, Eric's kind of version of Spider-Man or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting case all around. The idea of a creator like Eric, who you know he creates a lot of characters, buying buying a character basically wholesale from another creator. It just I can't think of any other particular circumstances where I've seen that happen that wasn't you know at a corporate level. You know, 
Oh, yeah, Todd, Todd McFarlane and Marvel Man, or... That's true. Marvel Man's a Miracle Man case. or whatever. Miracle Man, Marvel Man, whichever. It's pretty unique, though. Yeah. It's got to be a weird thing. Like, one, you know, at some point when we interview Eric, I'd like to ask him how you, you know, do you, when you're writing someone else's character, even though you own her, is it a little weird? Like, when you want to change something, or... That's probably why he it? wants to reboot it completely, so he doesn't have to worry about... Yeah. Of course, when he says reboot, does he mean, like, pick it up at some point in the future, or clean reboot? You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Like Supreme... I think he wants to I leave some of the old elements in, but it's from what I understand that the story is so like out of whack, like convoluted like, from all the reboots. Yeah, reboots. just like the dream sequences, and they're not. I don't know, but I, again, I, I wasn't that into the That's character when it bad. came out, and I know Neither like I. I, I think Eric like has really been fascinated with this character because I always remember him like talking up Ant and like. Like I said, he kind of did layouts for Mario and stuff. And obviously, he bought the character, so he's, like, super into the character. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be something that he really likes about it. I mean, I guess the design is, is pretty cool. So I guess. From a design standpoint, like, it's funny because I heard him say that it was iconic. And it is true that out of all the, like, little, like, come-and-go heroes that have, you know, been in and out of existence in the last whatever even though i never followed ant that is kind of a design you remember it's memorable that is true although i've always thought she looked like girl carnage yeah i could see that but uh so yeah yeah when her first couple of series were coming out i was aware because it was in previews and eric was talking about her but i would never had any desire to read it but then i never had any desire to read supreme either so we'll see how that goes it just always felt over um, the top a little bit, like cheese ball. Like every shot was like ants yeah, it's a little, in my face. But yeah, it was I mean, a it's fine. Cheesy. I like that once in a while. But there's too many other comics that have that. Right. They say it was like that was my impression is that it was like Ant was the answer for Buttman to all the like you know comics are generally like uh, a leg and boob kind of a thing. <laughs> so, so that was like Ant was the most Buttman character that ever was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like Jennifer Lopez in a Venom suit. I know that sounds funny, but yeah, that's exactly it. That was my impression, is this character is really memorable despite being super simple, and every shot of this character, her butt is at you. (laughs) Uh, So that's that. funny impression. (laughs) Other bit of news... Uh, apparently, Tom Scholey, who you may know, we talked about before about his work on um, American Barbarian and what's the new one? Godland. Yeah, he worked on Godland. Good point. Um, yeah, uh, you may know him from Godland or uh, American Barbarian. He apparently has made a pitch for Supreme after Eric leaves. Um, he recently published a mock Supreme cover on his Facebook account. Uh, and indicated that he was making a pitch to Rob Liefeld to take over the book after you know Eric leaves. Um, as we as we explained last uh, fincast, Eric will be concluding his run on the series within the next two issues. Um, when asked by a commentator if he had contacted the relevant people about it, uh, he said yes. It had been a long time since I chased work for higher jobs, uh, but I'm feeling a pull towards the character. 
because of how formative uh, Alan Moore's run was to uh, his uh, his development as a creator. Um, he described the mock cover as Ethan Crane in an exosuit made of repurposed Suprematon parts. Yeah, Suprematon parts uh, versus Mean Supreme. See, I didn't actually. I didn't uh, realize that. I thought I didn't realize he was looking to directly continue Eric's. Uh, uh, the little like promo image is it kind of fits right in line with like what's happening. I, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Now you mentioned it. Now, now it makes more sense to me what was going on in that mock cover. Uh, being Ethan Crane versus Mean Supreme, because uh, see, I was a little worried that they were basically gonna do what Eric did and just do his own thing. Uh, no, I I think well, it's, no. Actually, I was I was worried it, he wasn't gonna do what Eric did, where he used the stuff from the past and just do a clean break and a new new interpretation. So uh, it's actually yeah. kind of cool that he does seem to have intent to continue what Eric has set up. We uh we definitely got to link the image on the FinCast yes. site or something because I'm a huge fan of of Tom's and you either like them or you don't. If you like Kirby's art and stuff like that, you're gonna like them. If you're not into old school looks, you, you probably won't like it as much. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of in of a mixed opinion about him. I mean, I think uh, his art's kind of neat, but yeah. at the same time, I think his storytelling can be a little. Um, I don't want to say sloppy. That's wrong. It's more like. It moves at such a fast pace. I mean, I read all of his webcomic stuff, but again, that's free, and I get it through my uh, RSS reader, so it's uh, easy to keep up with. But uh, I, I like him, and I have I have problems with him, and I definitely probably keep reading Supreme if he took over. Well, I and I think like what you're reading, if you're reading like American Barbarian, I think that's more of like an experiment he's doing, where he's just kind of going on the fly. It's not like he. A scripted kind of story he was just doing like all right now i'll do a panel now i'll come up with something else but i think his approach would be a little different if you know he was writing supreme more in line with his like myth of eight opus stuff which i think it's cool because like uh one of the things that really was awesome about the uh glory and profit relaunch is they kind of put oddball talent with the properties and it wasn't just oddball talent it was oddball talent with like big ideas. Yeah. And that in that single image, Tom really kind of like married that whole thing of like a match you wouldn't think, like an oddball idea, and yet it also carried on what Eric's doing. So I don't know. Something about that image just grabbed me. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'd read yeah, that. Yeah. It did. Me too. I saw that image and you just look at it and you want. It's like you want to know what's going on. It's not some yeah. lame kind of. St- bunch of guys just posing or whatever it's like i want to find out what's going on here why is there all these like robot pieces attached to this guy why is this skull floating in the middle of space what the hell is going on here and i love (laughs) that trying to remember my first reaction was it reminded me of stardust the super wizard if you guys know what that is yeah yeah i think but that was more stylistic because of how weird supreme's uh um anatomy looked i think yeah yeah, I just yeah I I just love everything about Tom Scioli's stuff. I, I just he's got so much energy and imagination and he has that. I'll agree with that. Yeah, I heard he was here in Pittsburgh. Like I recently learned that out. He lives so in Pittsburgh. If, yeah. Tom, if you were like I saw footage of like him and a bunch of like uh, the guys that put uh, Aphrodisiac together. Oh, going uh, through the shopping. the basement. Yeah, the new dimension thing. Yeah. and uh, I was like whoa new dimension if you guys are in the area tom if you hear that 
Yo, uh, you know, hit us, hit us up. I'll, I'll interview you for the uh, Savage Fin cast. Yes, do. That would be awesome. Yeah, I would love that. Even if it's just an email, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm sure. Just anything, it'd be cool. I'm sure we can get him on. He's a really nice guy, and I've talked to him before at conventions, and he, uh, yeah, he loves to talk comics. Let's uh, when we know for certain what Supreme's doing, we'll definitely have him on the show. Cool. And by definitely, I mean we'll definitely ask him to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely Let's have not him. not promise something we can't deliver. We'll definitely kidnap him and force him to speak on our show. <laughs> so, uh, shall we dive into a uh, discussion of Savage Dragon 182? The main event. Let's shall. Cool. This was uh, one of my favorite Savage Dragon issues in a while. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think I think we've all universally agreed that this issue was something else. It blew up. What you guys were saying about everybody seeming to like be really jazzed about this issue? I think one of the reasons is because it gets into the street level stuff, and, it, and we're moving forward with you know, here's heroes on the ground fighting the villains, and, and there's a lot of character development and, and stuff versus these like big you know, invasion story and, and all the like sort of previous world ending stuff that we've just been contending with recently. And, uh, I was listening to you guys, um, one of your last episodes, uh, that I wasn't able to be on. And you were talking about how you thought one of the problems with the invasion story was, um, it was, it was too tight. Like you tried to do too much and too few issues. And I totally agreed with that. And I think this is more comfortable we're getting back into a more comfortable pace of, of kind of, I think the stuff that people want to see. Yeah, that makes sense. It definitely felt like it was more, um, like you said, it was more down to earth, more, it, it feels like there's no like, like finish line too close. So it feels like it has like room to breathe. Yeah. Like I would have yeah, loved absolutely. for the invasion story to have been as big in scale as, the sort of you were talking about before with uh, maybe gone on for a couple more issues. I think it just ended up being, you know, he got to a point where there's these issues. They're just full of characters and there's so much stuff that you have to do. And I think a couple of those issues were really difficult to complete. And then as he was getting through them, he was like, all right, I'm done with this. I, we got to move on. And I understand that. And, and it's, you know, I, w- I wish maybe it had been a little bit longer, but, um, I'm glad that we're. I think he's into what he's doing more now than he, he when he was working on those last couple issues. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I you know in the past when he's done big events like Mars Attack, Savage Dragon or something, he you know there was the fan base or just comics in general doing a lot better. Where you could have a spinoff comic and throw a lot of that into like freak force or you know mars attacks savage dragon or mars attacks image and then dedicate like an issue or two or even just one issue to it but lob a lot of that stuff into supporting books and now it's to like be, right. you want to to be fair he did do that with vanguard as the back or at least. Yeah. yeah yeah so vanguard took a bit of that load as well because it was dealing with the same events right from a different right. angle yeah i agree with that but um I still feel like, you know, it's just, you you wanted to get that feeling like it was a huge invasion and it's like you had like three issues to do it in and you didn't feel like it 
it spread across you know the whole like image universe or you know it's it's just tough to do it just never really feel like Malcolm and Angel's role in the whole thing. I think we talked about this before. They didn't. It didn't feel like they had any meaningful role to the story. It was just the attack happened and stuff happened, and they just happened to be caught up in a small part of it, and they didn't really have anything to do with the resolution. Whereas in 182, they're front and center, and their story matters. Right. Yeah, it's all Malcolm like and Angel. Everything again. they do. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ed. No, I was just agreeing. Uh, yeah, it's all Malcolm and Angel again, and that we re- we care a lot more about Malcolm and Angel than we do a lot of the extraneous characters. So it matters. And everyone they deal with has got like a tight connection. Like the villain, all the villains they fight, all you know, they all know each other. Like there's a history between them, you know. And that's that's a cool thing about you know the book now is Malcolm and Angel are starting to get history with some of these villains, and it's uh it's really clicking. It's not like they're fighting some you know I don't know nameless alien or nameless unlimited ugly guy. It's you know they're fighting characters they they have prior history with, and I think it's kind of cool. Plus, it seemed like this issue, whereas uh, the I guess the obviously the whole point of the arc was to pay attention to the alien invasion. This issue seemed to do something like, uh, I feel like old Dragon Issues did, which was have like several threads just roll right through a single issue and yet all be relevant. Absolutely. Invincible sort of, yeah, Invincible stole, uh, you know, some of Savage Dragon's Thunder that exact same way. And I think both books are best when that's how they're written. Yeah. So you've got a lot of stuff. Like with the religious thing, it's just a page. But it's just dropped in there, and you know it matters. You know, yeah, you know, like two or three or ten issues down the line. That's what I used to love about Savage Dragon. You, you'd put a page in, and it, it would pay off down the line. And with this issue, that's it. You, you've kind of gone back to that, you know, the you know the mid '90s Dragon or the late '90s Dragon, where you got these, you know, four or five different subplots running through, and you know they're all going to pay off at one point or another, or they're getting solved in the book but it's it's really neat it's really a, a good use of a lot of characters in in one book oh yeah definitely um so yeah i think that was it i think that's what i said i made the comment that uh savage dragon you know people like to say it's comics done right but i feel like this book this issue was savage dragon done right like when it's at its best, it's doing this kind of like it's carrying this kind of workload, you know? Right. Yeah. It, this issue definitely put in some work. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's Love dense. It. I mean, there's a lot happening. You. I mean, if you want, to just let's just go through it. But you know, the, the first page starts up with you know Operation Born Again, which has been you know something that's been in this book forever. Jeez. Yeah, it's been te- well. That's right. It's been around forever because that's what Super Patriot came out of, right? Uh, did did Super Patriot come out of Operation Born Again? Probably. Or was Cyber or was Cyberface's resurrection? They brought him back. Yeah, with that, and it's got tie-ins with Rob's book because that's what Bloodstrike's all based on, Operation Born Again, and Bloodstrike's been relaunched too. So it kind of, you know, it's kind of cool that it, it works along. That's with that. cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing with the Bloodstrike guys is that it's like a group of, you know, a government team that can go in and get all mauled and destroyed and get killed and be brought back to life. Um, so, that's cool. yeah, that's, 
that that was something that you know Larson kind of borrowed from Liefeld. So it's kind of cool that that's kind of brought in, and, and they're trying to resurrect uh, Skullface, which is Thunderhead's dad. And it's cool to see Thunderhead back because he's probably like one of the first real villains of Malcolm, you know, without his without his father around. Right. He's a yeah. He's a he's one of the first really recurring villains that's tied to Malcolm and not necessarily definitely call him like a Malcolm era character. Right. And I, I love it. You know, I like these kind of villains. For a while, Eric was just kind of putting in these kind of like ugly unlimited guys, which are just random mutant guys, and you know, dragging them. Malcolm was beating the crap out of them, and yeah, guys who would drag themselves out of the uh, the not the what was it called the Forbidden Zone or whatever after Chicago got yeah, I mean, during, I, I, you know, Savage World, just random dudes. Yeah, it's it's good now to see. I, what I really like is just seeing reoccurring bad guys, even if. Even War God is in this, and War God, for as long he's been around Dragon since what, like at least the teens or the twenties. I know he was in, you know, the um, Gang War series, and he's one of Eric's coolest looking characters. And he really hasn't done much in the book, but just the fact that he always reappears and is kind of like somewhere in the background is just kind of cool, as opposed to just some random kind of goblin looking guy. You know, it's 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 just neat to to see that history and, and see him. And I am disappointed that he died in this issue. Uh. I also say that I anytime like you can throw a graveyard with really like ornate like angels and like you know all kinds of stuff, that's good comics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to mention the backgrounds in this uh, particular scene. The cemetery scene was just really the detail is just really wow. It was an answer almost for people that were like, too much negative space. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a great looking graveyard. I especially like the use of the black border to the whole thing. It really gives it a creepy vibe. Just in time for Halloween. I like. <laughs> and that was kind of a 90s thing, too, right? Right. What's that? The black to borders. Just, the black borders. Yeah, I guess. I, uh, I really dig Eric Larson trees. <laughs> yeah. Just a circle with all kinds of leaves yeah. in them. But they look good. And, I mean, it's awesome because, like I said, uh, it's really, like, uh, solid cartooning. And yet, I mean, like, that's a, uh, you know, cram-packed cemetery. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's cool. Also, too, I guess this scene's taking place at night. So, you know, the black borders do their work there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just good. Definitely. Um, I am. Double-page spread. Uh, one of the best. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it's just awesome to see Angel punching a guy in the face, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm i really surprised that Eric didn't take this opportunity to put a bunch of, like, joke names on the graveyard stones. The... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking now, you got me looking, but now I see some uh, visual shorthand to, like, indicate letters, but, yeah, I don't see any gag names. Yeah, I would expect one or two graves to be like, you know, like we were saying, Phil McCracken or... John Day. Yeah. Anyway. So we get ourselves a nice little fight scene. Malcolm and Thunderhead go at it. Yeah, two guys with electric powers punching away at each other. Yeah, it's awesome. Again, a great visual for night. Like, just to have two guys with electric powers fighting at night, you know, that's awesome. That, like, adds to the visual. Yeah, yeah, you get that one page with, like, the whole 
backgrounds glowing because they're punching the crap out of each other. Fracka yeah, Zack. Like, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Which is a great, like, that's just fantastic. Tell you, <laughs> you know, now that we talk about Nikos, Nikos did a great job coloring this this issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. This was a gorgeous looking, like, a gorgeous looking episode, like issue. And, like, I heard you say, Jim, the sound effects are just, like, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You look, you look at, like, every punch, and it's like, you know, the electric powers are lit up. And you look at when, you know, Dragon punches Thunderhead into the Born Again machine and it just like it's got that big orange glow. And as it like fades away from the glow, you can see like the, the darker night, but you can see like the real glow of the machine. It's just it's cool. Yeah, it's really good. I have He's see. really come to his own. Oh, yeah. Nikos has definitely improved. I was really harsh on the guy for a long time. Mm-hmm. But now that everything doesn't glow like the sun, it's great. Yeah, I think his problem was that and like the little flare things and stuff like that was was a little much sometimes. Or like the shiny Put the dodge things. tool away, Nikos. <laughs> Put it down. Step away. Don't yeah, like the hurt. light is overwhelming stuff in like uh like really good like ways. Like you look at the panel of like Angel, you know, smacking uh the dude in the cape. I'm such a uh, his names More are escaping God. me, Billy. <laughs> War God, he's pun- she's punching him out, you know, pow, huge. And, like, you can see, like, he's got a color hold on his cape. But, like, uh, you know, Angel's perfect blacks. I don't know, it's nice. It's subtle. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, uh, he stepped up his game. I feel he's coming to it. Yeah. Big time. And poor War God gets cremated, basically. One thing I always liked is how... When characters accidentally kill somebody, which happens a lot, they react to it. Oh yeah. You gotta yeah. wonder how how messed up that makes you watching everyone die around you. Yeah. Well, you know, Malcolm accidentally wasted uh, the hillbilly guy with the mullet. Yep. So now it's tit for tat, you know. <laughs> War and terror. War and terror. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And then didn't Angel's mom Jennifer waste the little uh, brainchild? Remember when she freaked out? Like, yeah, she beat it to death, yeah. right? Got, went nuts. And she lost her <laughs> yeah, that's crap right. after, after that. I think that happened in... This is going way back. I think she that happened back in Dimension X, too. She basically got overly protective and killed something, and it really messed her up. Right. You just love all that smoke pouring off of, like, War God's charred corpse. And, like, his eye is, like, half his face is just falling off. <laughs> it's just nice. Nice little attention to detail. And what what happens next is pretty cool. It's, you know, basically uh, Thunderhead tries to run away. And you kind of feel for the guy. He's all, you know, he lost his buddy War God and, you know, the machine, the the born again machines busted so his dad's not going to be coming back and uh yeah he kind of takes on a, like uh you feel a, s- a sympathetic form as like mako yeah all his dreams are dead <laughs> yeah that's a good point i didn't think of it like that you know he, he's another kind of sympathetic character where he's just trying to really get by but he's going about it the wrong way yeah, he's got a hideous look, you know. He's kind of like villainous looking, even if he was trying to be nice. So it's kind of working to that same element where, like, this is not going to be a guy that's going to be babysitting kids. Right. 
Well, it's got that thing too, the callback to since he's Skullface is his dad, right? Right. So like Skullface is pretty much one of the very first villains we ever saw in Savage Dragon. And then he was a big, you know, big baddie early on in the book. And so it's cool that now that they're establishing, you know, the sort of Malcolm and Angel and their supporting cast, that there's this guy who's there who's, you know, sort of like the answer to Malcolm's dragon. And we don't yet know what this new development means for the future of their relationship. Like, are they going to continue to be sort of enemies or are they going to be on better terms or what? Like, right. I mean, just the whole Skullface is so the whole story has always, I've always thought that was one of the more interesting sort of villain stories. And uh, so I'm anxious to see where, um, where this guy goes. Hey, um, purple, like he's got the purple pants. <laughs> Remember how <laughs> Malcolm wore purple flannel for like years. Yeah, he had the. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it terribly. He had the purple shirt, flannel shirt, in every episode. It's in the genes. That's it's a genetic. You know, one <laughs> one thing that's Three cool. You guys wear purple. That's like a rule. The one thing that's cool too is that like he wears like sneakers and his pants. They're they're weird purple pants, but they're more like pants than an outfit. And his shirt's more like a shirt than you know. It's like a cut off shirt. So he's not necessarily dressing like a. In a costume, as much as he just got like some clunky duds. Oh, he had to put those uh, lightning bolts on by hand, I'm sure. <laughs> and you notice? You think those bolts on his heads are genetic, or like what I don't is know. <laughs> but you, you notice, like, it's like a I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit, but it seems like the vicious circle, like kids, all kind of just wear street clothes, and I don't know. I'm guessing that's kind of just shorthand to imply their kids, you know, give them a baseball cap or sneakers instead of like boots. Clothes from the Goodwill. But um, I think it's kind of cool. You know, maybe it's, you know, they're just going to start dressing in like regular clothes and who knows, but it's something I've noticed. Maybe that goes right in line with uh, Thursday Dark Lords, you know, sweat there you clothes. Go. Everybody's going to be rocking casual in Savage Dragon. Yeah, it is cool that for them, just that wrinkle of them to be brothers and not even direct brothers, but like, you know, that connection just adds such an awesome layer of depth to that character that was already interesting. Because that's something in this book, even when people are like siblings or whatever from other dimensions, they seem to care about it. Yeah, definitely. I almost sometimes think they don't deal with that enough. Like, uh, you don't see the Janie twins or the Johnson twins enough to really see how they're getting on with their alternate dimension parents. They'll just show up grown one day. Yeah. Actually, that's (laughs) that's actually one of the things I I actually lament is that you don't see them in the same high school as uh, Angel and Malcolm, so you don't really get the sense. They would make a good addition, wouldn't they? Yeah. You get the little wise guys all the time. I always just kind of would rather get the characters we you know know from uh, their time in Dimension X because you know, wonder how they're getting on. But that's just me. I've always wondered where ugly twin, attractive twin, were going. Yeah, you know that he's got some joke in mind or something. And especially now they're kind of becoming teenagers. It's like I want to see what's going on there. I mean, I think that stems back to Eric was talking about like 
when before Savage Dragon's the image when he was a kid, he had stories with like them and they were actually like Paul Dragon's sons and one was ugly and one was like good looking. But and he kind <laughs> of and I don't know, maybe Adam, you remember this, but tell me if I'm yeah. making crap up or not, but I, I thought I remember him saying that and kind of just he added that into the book. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I don't exactly remember either, um, but um, I, I've been wanting to see what's happening with them as well. So I'm sure we will at some point. I hope it doesn't take too long to get to them, though. Do you think it was weird? I'm going the next page. Did you think? <laughs> oh, I'm oh, sorry. sorry. Did you think it was weird that like Malcolm pinpointed Thunderhead's mom as Rapture like so quickly? A little bit. A little bit. Although he did mention that Solar Man Killer, so that kind of narrows it down. Yeah. Can you explain that for me? Because I guess I didn't quite... I was slow on the up check there. I didn't make the connection the way it was in the book. Malcolm's thinking, wait, Solar Man killed your mom and you have electricity power? Like, there's not a lot of people your mom could have been. Uh, well, yeah, there you go. So now he's got another brother. He's got a ton of, like, super-powered... Brother. And it's like, it's weird. It's like, you call him the brother, like you're saying, like, it's from an alternate reality mom. He's a genetic brother. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Half, he's as, he's as genetic a half-brother as a half-brother would be anyway. So. Right. So, I mean, now, counting this out, I mean, doesn't he have, he's got a ton of brothers or sisters now. I mean, he's got Angel as a stepsister. He's got Thunderhead as a genetic brother. He's got, um, didn't Dark World Dragon have a a child? Oh, yep. Yes. And he would be a genetic brother as well. People were calling him Battle Dragon, right? Right. Yeah, mutations out there with him somewhere. And he's got... With all all these dragon siblings, more than likely he's going to turn up at some point. Yeah, I mean, he's got Krull, and then he's got alternate reality stepsister Angel with Glum. Don't forget her. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, good God. But oh, it's kind of in whatever shape she's in. Seriously, got to wonder <laughs> if he's setting up some kind of children, a uh, dragon children, dragon gang featuring yeah. all the little, all <laughs> the little, little dragons. It'll be interesting to see like what he does with that battle dragon baby. Like a family reunion, except they're all fighting. Right. And none of them are actually related well, to each and, other. And here's the other thing, too. <laughs> we never know. You know, talking about the Johnson twins, how one's ugly and one's not, they were conceived when when uh, Dragon was in the body of William Johnson, right? Oh, no. Right. You're right. Oh, that's awesome. That's Yeah, that's supposed to be the reason for the ugliness. Apparently. Oh really? We got yeah. a family tree put together. Like Dragon possessed William Johnson's body when he, when he uh, was killed, I guess, or however was magically banished, or when Abner Cadaver was trying to break him apart. Yeah, so there's also a connection there. I can say is it's just awesome for the future. I mean, it's one of the things that makes this book so great. Definitely. You can't imagine that the kid being raised by uh, mutation is going to be uh, very well adjusted. Yeah, yeah, right. Because <laughs> she's nuts. 
And then, you know, moving on to talk about what else makes this book so great, you get that page where you see, you know, Dung and the Vicious Circle, and Dung is just aged. <laughs> He's an older guy now. I love that. That is the best. Eric talked about that. He decided to change Dung's look a bit because the the, the real person he's based off of his looks changed since he created. Yeah, Dung's a, was a San Francisco DJ, and now he has his own like podcast thing. His DJing days are over. Besides his own like podcast, but yeah, like I don't know if you've ever listened to any of his old uh, radio show recordings. If you go on like YouTube and look up like Dung in San Francisco or whatever. You can hear some of his old shows, and he actually, like, you know how when you read Dung and you read his, like, A-U-I or something, like, he has a... a yeah, that's how he yeah, talks. It, yeah. You can understand, when you listen to the radio show, you get how it's supposed to sound, and it's pretty funny. Yeah, I love how he talks. Unlike, He's gonna kill us all, baby. He sounds kind of like <laughs> Wolfman Jack on, like, Coke. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty spot-on likeness, too. <laughs> he looked a lot like him. Like, we saw the photograph, and then there was, like, the cartoon, and I was just like, man, he nailed it. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of interesting just to get a, uh, a head count of the Vicious Circle goons that are still kicking around. I mean, we got Dung and Powerhouse and uh, Fevers there. Any idea who the, the green guy with the energy thing going on is no you know I, I, it, it look he looks like inferno except he's green and didn't inferno die yeah inferno i think died so maybe he drew inferno and there was like oh this guy's supposed to be dead i'll just color him differently <laughs> and i think maybe that that's my theory <laughs> i know the bat looking guy has shown up before who's the blobby looking dude I don't next know, to he's, he's shown cool. up before too and then i think when uh Eric did the interview for comicbook.com. He kind of confirmed that that was some of the Vicious Circle kids, like Open Faces kid with the baseball hat on. 100% Open oh, Faces yeah. kid, but who do you figure the other kid is? Is that Jerry from, like, 171 was uh, Thunderhead's friend who looked like War God's kid? You could be right about that. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember. The, the one he was playing video games yeah. with? Oh. You said 171, I think you think? So. Got a, like, yeah, a that's great memory. So, hold on. What's that, Raven? You got, every- you got a great memory, Gavin number two. Nah, I just looked it up <laughs> and wrote notes. <laughs> that, yeah, look, no, War God's Kid looks a bit different, although, you know, it is a classic in the background Eric Larson drawing in this particular issue, so some of the detail might be lost. Is that the one that starts with the splash page of Skullface? Is that that issue? Yeah, well, it's the one where... like, do your homework. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's sweet. I mean, he's got the long hair. I mean, yeah, it could it could be. And then you What's think... funny is you just don't imagine these guys having kids. Yeah, who... Who, who are these people having sex with? What, what lonely soul hooked up with Open with, Face? With each other. Like oh, well, wild, wild hair. And, all those and bank all robbery dollars got to go somewhere. Well, I'm I guess. sure, like Open Face <laughs> could design some kind of device to make them look normal. <laughs> a mask. He's grown a paper test. bag. <laughs> Do you think um, Eric's kind of trying to throw us off again by 
you know, showing Powerhouse and Powerhouse kind of sticking up for Overlord. And then they're like, are you with us or him? And he's like, I'll get back to you on that. Like he's walking away to go don his Overlord armor, if, if that's the case. I actually have something to say about that. Um, what's interesting about this issue is our two main suspects that I believe most people uh, agree on are the suspects are pretty predominant in this issue. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually went back and I found the issue that Powerhouse and Overlord quote-unquote met, which was issue 154. And I reread it just to check to see if there's any real evidence that Powerhouse can't be Overlord. And from what I, you know, determined, it doesn't really, um... What happens is, Powerhouse is in a bar with Fever... And a bunch of uh, vicious circle flunkies come find him to take him to Overlord. And so when he goes to see Overlord, he walks into a room where Overlord is standing alone, looking the other way. They never actually speak to each other. It's entirely possible that the armor could be standing there with no one in it. And Powerhouse just set up the whole thing. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. But I also feel like it's too obvious. Well, that's mm-hmm. the thing. It is a bit obvious. There's a, a, a we may have talked about this before. I think we probably did talk about this a million years ago. But uh, when he was first hyping like the return of Overlord, and he had those preview images, who is Overlord? And like one of those was the cover to 150, but another one was just like the the Overlord mask, and then the uh, the third one was like the Overlord mask sitting on like a table yeah. with a dude in the background in silhouette. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just supposed to be, you know, here's a here's a you know generic character in the dark who you you know it could be anybody, or if it was like the silhouette of this guy's head is a clue, and if that's the case, like he looks like a bald dude with a very prominent brow, and um, you know maybe we should put that image on the on the Fincast side or whatever too, because it's a really cool teaser image. I don't know if it's like, uh, you know, a literal clue or just, um, you know, here's he's in shadow and, and it could be anybody. right. And we, but we all know that powerhouse can change into like a human form, right? Is that the case or no? Yeah. Yes, yes, that was a step that 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 isn't well known because it was only really established in a backup that I think Frank yes. Bosco drew way yeah. back. I admit I had no idea. Yeah, he, he, he apparently is was a, a scrawny, nerdy kid, and then he discovered that he was the son of a god, and so he turned into this, you know, giant, super-powered thing, and then when he looked in the mirror and saw he had a chicken head, he freaked out. But that was also, in, in the right. regular Savage Dragon, wasn't there an issue where, like, people were, like, looking for Powerhouse, and, like, Powerhouse walks into a room, and then, I forget who, but someone busts in, and... There's nothing but like a scrawny kid in the room when they're looking for powerhouse. Right. I don't know what issue that was. I think that's the only uh, that was the only time that was ever really established in Savage yeah. Dragon was that particular mo- event. Um, just to jump ahead a little bit uh, later on, of course, uh, Overlord attacks the uh, the editor of a local newspaper, Gossip Rag, yeah. I guess. Yeah, actually, it's literally called Gossip Rag. <laughs> but if you notice in the in the um, in the um, Vicious Circle page, the very first thing I think Dung says is that Overlord is out to destroy the Vicious Circle, 
which is the same thing that appears in the headline in the in the next page. Well, he says that. He says, um, "Yeah, I thought that was." He a says, nice "You've time. seen the headlines. <laughs> We're being slaughtered." Right. So, here's my thought: If Powerhouse is in fact Overlord, he's he uses his Powerhouse persona to get inside the vicious circles, uh, you know, the trust, get down to the down to their level to hear what they're talking about. And so, learning about he, this is where he learns about the headline to later go beat up. Ah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that is misdirection. Well, yeah, if you want to, like, take it either way, what's funny is right underneath it is Malcolm Dragon and Sister's Love Nest. So, like, both people, both suspects' headlines of Have rage right. are right there, yeah. you know, one over the other. Yep. Yeah, and on the next page, uh, Angel's back to school, and the bomb drops that apparently a security camera caught her and, Dr- and Malcolm... They didn't actually do anything, so I'm really curious they were like about, about what the security to, camera actually looked like they were going to. Yeah, and so that got out to the gossip rags, and it's very embarrassing for everyone involved. Yeah, and that's <laughs> a cool would. thing Eric's doing Especially is like you know in this day and age of TMZ and all those like kind of gossip rags and stuff like that. It's cool that Eric's showing like you know in this book Malcolm's a celebrity, so it's cool to see how he's getting affected by you know paparazzi and stuff like that. It makes sense. But who reads newspapers anymore? This <laughs> teenage girl. <laughs> I like uh, the next page with uh, the Church of Savage Dragon, which I think is pretty freaking cool. With the sting. That was uh, that was teased previously, right? At some point, I believe Malcolm was talking to somebody about it. I believe you're right. How? Uh, yeah. These uh, oh yeah, Church of the Dragon people. Well, you know, Dragon wrote that book, right? Right. And that's where they're going off of this. I didn't notice. They got a stained glass window yeah. with a fin on it. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, and if you notice, John yeah, Day is John Day is one of the converted. Of course Appar- is. Apparently what they're preaching is that apparently you get to choose your own afterlife because that's what God told Dragon. Hey, I might have to join up. <laughs> Well, Dragon certainly has come back enough, which, you know, uh, how many times have these people seen Dragon come back from the dead? Right. Yeah, you'd think that superhero universes would have more cults that are obsessed with superhero resurrection. Right. Yeah. This guy, though, with, like, 40 chins, he's into <laughs> <laughs> That's another kind of classic Larson page, too, with the long, skinny panels. I feel like we haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, it's it, almost cool. It like is cool. Dipping, just dipping into the, all the old tricks, you know? And it's a useful way to tell, put, convey a lot of information in just yeah, one page. Yeah, I really like that page. And then we get Malcolm finding out about the story, and he's going to go do something about it. That's a funny visual, like, it's the subtlest of dumb things. Maybe it'll be a running gag or not, but Malcolm's holding the newspaper with the page towards you in the second panel on that one. There's the exact same toilet paper ad from the other issue. I just noticed that, too, like, right when you guys were talking about it. I was like, when you really gotta poop, wipo. That's it. What is it? (laughs) It's the same one. It's this ad that just comes up from time to time when you see newspapers in, in Savage Dragon. And it's always these two rolls of toilet paper, one like standing up and one on its side. What other issues have and, they uh, appeared in? 
How have I missed? I only saw um, it like in an issue ago, but if it's a longer running gag, that's even. I can more tell awesome. you it's in. I can. I can tell you it's in number twenty nine. I'm pretty sure. Like issue twenty nine, <laughs> wow. like two nine. Yeah, like do you remember like the thing with the Peter Clapton videotape where Dragon thought that Rapture was yeah. cheating on him? Yeah. So like when Rapture finds out like the next issue, I think it's twenty nine, maybe it's thirty, but like she finds out that he moved out of her apartment, and she's like what the hell? And Hortus is like, he left this videotape and said to explain everything. And she's like, Ugh, God, and now we got to go to some like shop and buy a VCR so we can watch this. And I'm pretty sure there's like papers blowing on the bottom panel while they're like walking off. And one of them has really big, the ad for when you really want to, when you really got to poop. Why? <laughs> and, and Raven, you said it showed up recently too. <laughs> Yeah, it was in a, another issue. Malcolm was reading a newspaper, or somebody was holding the newspaper, the exact same, like, you know, upper... They must get good rates on that upper corner <laughs> ad or something, because it was the exact uh, same place. I love this book, man. Yeah, maybe they just have a dedicated deal. It's like, you know, <laughs> that, I just, that, like, reading this book now, it's like 181 issues, and you still, like, find new stuff out about it. Great little Easter eggs. Find out it had like better history than that. I thought it was just a the birth of a new running gag, but that makes it even cooler. There's probably other ones that it was in too. I mean, there I can think of various panels where there's just newspapers blowing in the foreground, like Emily Schwartzblatt getting on the bus to come try and tell Dragon that he's her son Rodney. I don't know. There's papers blowing there. It might be there. Hmm. That's funny because like people that don't like, or maybe if they're somehow listening for the first time, are probably like, huh. What the hell is going about? Yeah. We haven't seen what, like what, why are they like uh, boom pow tacos in a while, have we? <laughs> no. Tacos. They used to he used to put signs for that up everywhere. I think is I actually think the boom pow tacos is on the in the Vanguard backup. I could be wrong though. You want know my favorite? Sorry, you, sorry. Yeah, it is there. We'll get to it. <laughs> one of my favorite, um, one of those like newspaper gags ever is when Eric was drawing Thor for a couple, of, uh, two or three issues, and there's this one double page spread of like a bunch of the heroes standing on a city block, and there's this you just can see all this activity on the city block, all these cars and people, passerby coming and go, and on the ground somewhere there's a newspaper with a headline. You know, writer kills artists, or artist kills writer, and uh, it's just one of those like you probably hated drawing this double page splash with all these cars and stuff. You're talking about Thor and the, the Marvel book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Marvel yeah, I remember that, that Dan Jurgens wrote. Yeah, that's what's so cool was all those like countless Easter yeah. eggs, you know. So it's. Because the stained glass window is pretty much the there's wasn't that like kind of the exact same logo that ran in the back of the letters column for a long time. Yep, yep, definitely. Actually, I think it was in the, cool. it was in the it was in the inside front cover for a long time, and actually it's it's on the Finatics uh it's it's on the Finatics letter column header right now. Well, I'm gonna flip here real quick. It's funny, I gotta like verify it <laughs> like you're lying. We flip back. Oh, I made it all up. 
There's another segment on this. You're wrong. You're wrong. complete if it casts a success. No, that's cool. That's what's so cool about it is it's kind of like a little nod to that, like, long-time logo. I don't know. It's a nice little touch, you know? So we cut to the scene, and it seems like Frank's kind of an understanding guy, so it doesn't seem like this is going to cause any problems with Angel and Frank, this gossip rag stuff. And then... uh, a little too <laughs> no, that, that first panel of him, it looks like he's more pissed off than he's letting go. Yeah, on. maybe. Um, and then you get the scene where, where Malcolm goes to Gossip Rag, which is funny that it's, like we said, it's named Gossip Rag. It's right on the door. <laughs> it doesn't even pretend. <laughs> it. Willard Willie Williams. <laughs> Willard Willie Williams? Yeah, you get a hat. <laughs> W-W-W. J. Jonah Jameson, uh, R. Richard Richards. I, I think when uh, <laughs> when Eric was publisher of Image, he should have been like E. Eric Erickson. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you see a little bit of uh, his father's personality in Malcolm in this one, where he's just like, yep, I'm going in. You're going to stop me. I'm big and green with a fin on my head. <laughs> and it's a, it's, the next page is a great splash of Overlord. He looks really cool in it. And of course, that guy looks just like the editor of Gossip Rag, as you'd imagine he'd look. Exactly. You know? exactly. Greasy <laughs> grease ball. <laughs> All sweaty. Oh, he's only missing some kind of gold chain yeah. around his neck. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he's like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. Chest hair far too exposed. <laughs> <laughs> Girls love it. He could be the son of Dung. Yeah. His uh, slightly more professional older brother. <laughs> slightly. Slightly. Feces. And you just you get this cool little action sequence with a lot of cool. Each panel's got a cool uh, sound effect. And basically, lots Wham. of speed lines. For a whoosh. Yeah, he said he'd miss the speed lines. Well, they are yeah. back in full effect. I just and I notice this has a lot of tone, like a lot of zippa tone, and like you know, that's cool. I you like know, that. and Eric's the master of like different camera angles. You know, like different. You look at like you know the bottom two panels. You got you know looking up at Dragon, and then you got like you know look you know from the floor looking up at Dragon's back. It's just it's cool, you know. You know, the editor of Gossip Rag, if you look on the back page, he's got a big metal foot in his crotch. What's that? Oh, he does. Poor guy. He's got a big overlord boot in a junk. <laughs> you think the uh, that's, that second panel there on that page with the four, uh, you think that line is a little uh, Mitt Romney joke? Where's that? He says, somebody's got to talk Willard here out of playing fast and loose with the truth. I don't know. It sounds more like Overlord being, uh, I don't know, Overlord. No, not like Overlord's making a joke, but like Eric's making a joke. Yeah, maybe. Huh. Yeah, I didn't think about that. This Overlord talks old-timey anyway. You wretch, you sniveling wretch. Still your lying tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Classic, like, Dr. Where Doom-esque does he get speech. This? It's like a filter on the, like, mask. Yeah, there's no way he sounds like anybody. 
Yeah, that's it. It doesn't really sound like anyone, I guess. Yeah, it could just be a ploy that someone's trying to hide, you know. Yeah, talking like a, like a cornball. It's like part of the elaborate ruse. Well, yeah, that sniveling wretch stuff sounds more like the original Overlord. It could be this guy is trying to sound like that, because he wasn't really talking like that when he first showed up. He like, sounded more like a teen, didn't steal he? Steal your tongue. A little bit. He, I mean, he, he seemed a little um, um, inexperienced with the world, uh, unrealistic expectations, that sort of thing. Yeah. Expected everything to fall in line once you started busting a few heads, and it doesn't quite work that way. You know. Got a reality check a few times. Uh, but what was I going to say about this? Oh, yeah. So we got Overlord choking the shit out of uh, Greaseball here. Uh, so, of course, we got two, two, two motivations going on here. Either Powerhouse is pretending to be a regular guy and he's taking his knowledge of this, of what was written in Gossip Rag and going to go beat the hell out of the guy who wrote it. Or we got Frank Jr., who is pissed off that his girlfriend is being jerked around by the gossip rag, and so he put on the soup to go beat him up. Or Talk about third option, of power. <laughs> it's complete misdirection, and it's neither of these two people. Hmm. Yeah, that's sort of where I would put my money is because always when I think like, oh yeah, it's clearly supposed to be this guy because he's setting it up to be you know this guy or this guy. Then usually it's it's misdirection on purpose with 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 Eric's mysteries. Have I, I think I mentioned in the past who I ho- hope it is, who I think it is. Lay it on the line, Jim. It's close enough. I think it's Chris Robinson. Oh, yeah, yeah. you did mention that. It's weird, though. I never... And the I reason know, I... Th- the reason I think that's the case is because at the time, I started rereading Savage Dragon from 101 to whatever was current at the time, and I thought it was very odd that Chris Robinson and Alex left the book about one issue before Overlord showed up. Hmm. Good deduction. Of course, if that's the case, the big question is, where's Alex? Because I haven't been able to come up with any good theory to explain where her whereabouts are. The Frank Jr. thing kind of makes some sense, though. And I never really thought much about, took it serious, until you just pointed out in this issue where he's kind of like, yeah, I'll take care of that magazine. Like, he kind of... Sounds real hesitant and weird in, their, in his conversation with Angel. And then the other thing is there could be some jealousy there that, you know, all of uh, all of his, you know, his sister or, or uh, sister, but Malcolm sorry. and Angel have powers and he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And, of course, you got to think about this. If it is Frank Jr., he was directly responsible in killing his own father. Yeah. So, uh, Angel... Uh, gets a surprise visitor. Um, Captain Stewart. Captain Stewart. <laughs> Captain Stewart. Enjoying some coffee, Angel. <laughs> you should, you, Raven, you should just do the rest of the review, and you should just do it in that voice. <laughs> as speaking in character as Captain Stewart. As the captain. Your yeah, captain was a it. star player. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's hitting on Mrs. D there, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was my first impression. Once a captain's wife, always captain's wife. <laughs> he played GTA. He likes some hot coffee. 
So Stewart's showing up, uh, wanting to see Angel. Apparently, he wants uh, her to join the Chicago uh, Police Department, which, in my opinion, would be a very interesting development. Uh, as a fan of Angel, it would be, in my opinion, in my opinion, I keep saying that it would um, be a good place for a good fit. But I got a pretty good feeling that's not where Eric's going to take her. Hmm. Yeah. It's bizarre. And this is a great scene just because it's like they're just in a kitchen drinking coffee, but still interesting stuff comes right out of it, you know, like the potential for her to join the force. And also the potential for her not to. I mean, you, you get that sort of uh, unsure feeling from her. And then you also have the captain, you know, she's like, well, you know, what about Frank Jr.? It's his dream to follow in his dad's footsteps. And he's basically like, well, he's not ready. So is there going to be some like animosity there if? she does decide to go for it or right right and even the package deal line is kind of like wow you know that's kind of like crap laying on the table there <laughs> captain stewart don't pull no punches <laughs> speaking of pulling punches uh, overlord is kicking the shit out of malcolm choom boing <laughs> boing <Proc. laughs> i guess that's a garbage can that's the know? garbage can he's hitting yeah that's uh, clever and then in classic Larson style, he gets his midsection blown out. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I was worried for him, but I'm not too worried for him. I mean, it's, it's just his, like, side, where his lungs live. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much. One of his kidneys is gone. It's cool. It's kind of a cool thing, because I know this sounds funny, but you can kind of even tell that's Malcolm from the back. And, I mean, it's just a guy with a fin on his head, but it shows how he's kind of like... He's kind of got... He's Fat shoulders. Yeah. He's kind of coming in to draw on that character, you know? He's definitely yeah. got a slightly different build than Dragon. Slightly squishier, uh, chubbier. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Fat shoulders is it. He's kind of got, like, like super broad, even as a dragon. For shoulders. Yeah, they, the cool thing, too, about Malcolm is that Eric had, like, the foresight or just the idea to kind of shade him a different, like, a darker color green. Yeah, he's not the same skin color exactly. Which I like is pretty that. Neat. I think it's cool. Because he wouldn't be. Like, it's, it makes sense. And, and yeah, definitely. So that ends that issue. And there are letters. Oh, such job, sweet bro. text. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased. Yeah, yeah. And letters with questions. I always like letters with questions. Number your questions. I love that. Yeah, it's classic at this point. It is. And so for this issue, we don't get the next installment of uh, the Gary Carlson, Frank Fosco Vanguard series, but we get a reprinted Vanguard story. And Adam, which – I forget. What, what issue? Is, it's from Megaton 2 or 3? It's three, from or? Megaton number 1. Oh, it's from 1. It's the very yeah. first Vanguard story ever published. Yes. And that back cover actually wasn't – what was supposed to go with this story? It was there was supposed to be an ongoing Vanguard series, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, and the, you you did the flats for this, Adam? Yeah, and I was I was working from um, I didn't know what like um, color mixtures that 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 Eric wanted to use for Vanguard, so I figured he'd probably be changing the colors a lot. Like I knew he was going to do the newsprint thing, like he did on. Uh, Herculean and, and some of the next issue project stuff. 
Um, mm. But I, I basically used the flat colors that I used uh, when I was working with David Seltzer on the other Vanguard stuff. And uh, I posted one of the pages on, on my Facebook and, and you can go see one of the flat and do side by side. It's really different looking, um, but still kind of cool. And uh, uh, I mean, the testament to Eric's like process, like the newsprint um, texture, that, that's like real. He got that by scanning in comic book pages, like age, like actual. It's not just a digital like Photoshop filter. It's something that he's painstakingly constructed. And uh, um, he went through and, 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 uh, gave it that look you know it, it looks like it would have looked if it were printed in color when it was first published in 1993 yeah, it's so awesome you know it, it was just kind of funny because it was black and white to start with and and uh, <laughs> uh but i really like that that kind of approach i really like the heavy use of knockouts that he yeah. does where like a character is like red just against a yellow or white background or something. I think that looks awesome. My favorite thing is like the space shots, like a spaceships with the knockouts with like the, the mm -hmm. black, like the bluish colors that run off onto the black. Like you always saw that in space books. Yeah. And to, like today there's such a big, like you have to, you know, you back up your blacks and so stuff doesn't bleed through unless you want it to bleed through like on purpose like this. So it looks like an old fashioned, you know, hundred percent black printing and, um, yeah, it's pretty cool looking. It's funny, doesn't photo? I know this is nerdy, but like, doesn't Photoshop even automatically do that for you when you like choose black? It throws a bit of a process in there. Yeah, like the default black is a rich black. It's not 100, percent and okay. and so you have to be like do it intentionally, and and uh, you know it's a little bit. Sometimes, depending on how you're working, it can actually be more complicated to go with like the old the old kind of 100 percent versus. Versus one with, that has a color in it. Huh. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, what year did this originally come out? 82 or something? I think it was done, it was drawn in 82, but it was published in 83. And it was Eric's first um, professional gig. It was, you know, he'd sent Graphic Fantasy, the book that he and his friends self-published with those very early dragon uh, tales, uh, around to different fanzines and reviewers and Gary Carlson was putting together this this anthology book with a number of different uh, artists, and and you know we've talked a little bit about it before that um, you know this is where Youngblood uh, debuted. This is you know Frank Fosco's E3N uh, yep. was in Megaton. Um, uh, Angel Medina did stuff in Megaton. A, a number of uh, artists that you know went on to become have huge careers and and, and are still working today. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, Lightfield called Gary Carlson, like, the godfather of Image Comics. I mean, yeah, Lightfield and Youngblood and Eric and Savage Dragon and Angel Medina worked on Spawn. And, you know, um, E3N's not, like, a like a household name or anything, but, you, you know, that, that headgear that E3N wears, um, that headgear is, like had a profound effect on, on Rob. Like he loved that and carried it in through like a number of his, his characters, like the original version of profit, you know, right. when you looked at that, that's actually an influence from Frank Fosco's work, you know, in, in Megaton. And so it's interesting to, to make those connections that I didn't even is realize that, it was there. Is that something Rob stated in the past or? Um, I, I don't know if he's, 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 uh, I don't know if he said it out loud, but it's, when you look at the, I believe he was, um, 
a big fan of Frank's work in, in Megaton, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah. That's really and, cool. That is cool. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Because the headgear is on like ninety percent of his dudes in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Shaft and like all those yeah. guys that like yeah. I mean, it robs the dude who obviously like carries his influences on his sleeve, but you know some of those influences are more you know obvious than others. Frank's not, you know, Frank's not the most famous artist in the world, and and a lot of people, you know, I, I wish Ethereum was a better known you know property and everything, and, and maybe someday it will be, but. Uh, I think probably more people would have made that connection if it was like just a more uh, commonly known, uh, uh, you know, look and, and, and everything. And... But yeah, Megaton was a big book in the '80s, like in terms of there's that like sort of black and white explosion of the indie scene, and uh, so it was influent. Its influence is, is you know still felt uh, uh, today, even even though. You know, when I was growing up and, and I was a kid in the 80s, I, I didn't, I didn't heard, heard of Megaton for, you know, um, really until I became familiar with Gary's work that he was doing with Eric at Image. And um, then, you know, going back and, and picking up that the, the old issues of Megaton and, and the old, you know, the issues of Big Bang that he did um, right before I was at Image and, and that kind of stuff. This was awesome for me. I'd never laid eyes on this, so it's really cool that this ran. I mean, I don't know. It's really, like, just to see, like, a Van carry so much of, like, and Wally just looks, like, the same. I don't know. It's just awesome to see yeah. the origins of this stuff. Well, it's funny. It's such, like, the typical 80s comic, too, where they're fighting, like, the Russian robot and stuff. It's I know. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the hammer and sickle right on his chest. Eric's cars still look the same. Yep. And um, there's that, uh, what's it called? Uh, Doom Pow Tacos? Yeah, oh, Boom yeah. Pow Tacos. <laughs> this third to last panel. You're going to need some wipo. No John Day, <laughs> though, huh? <laughs> no, but there's this really weird looking guy right below the taco sign. What's going on with his eyes? Yeah, I see what you mean. He's got like a fro, and yet his eyes are like <laughs> bug man eyes. Well, the dude off to the right looks like a luchador. <laughs> the little luchador mask. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's a good issue, though. It was cool that he did do that reprint. And Yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to why they did it. Maybe it's just to hold over until they get the rest of the Vanguard serials ready to go. But the it's cool or- to have. I mean, it's really cool to read. I want to say, they reprinted another Vanguard story a while back. I'm trying to think what issue it was. You guys you remember? Mean like, you mean this story when it was first no, reprinted? No, no. Or, or? Oh, oh, is that the case? That, that might be what it was. They might, that's why I remember this, is that they reprinted it in black and white. Well, yeah, no, so it was originally black and white in Megaton, and then it was reprinted in the first issue of the Vanguard Oddgoing in 1993. No, No, that's not what I mean. There was a... a, Oh, you mean Prism? Yeah, I'm thinking of Prism. Prism Okay, yeah. Yeah, different comic, right. And, you know, he almost colored that, and I think he just ended up either not having enough time or just wanting to to run like it originally had, but uh, he, he 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 started coloring it before That's it ended crazy. up running in black and white. But for 
Vanguard, the um, this was originally going to be the kind of bookend to Frank and Gary's uh, story, and it was going to run the issue after that concluded. But Frank's actually juggling, juggling a lot of stuff right now. He He's working on some other projects. Um, I don't know if those are going to be announced anytime soon or, or what. It, some of them are not really comics related, but he's been getting a lot of work lately, which is really awesome. And Yeah, it is really cool. And some of that stuff is like it, it needed to be turned around, uh, you know, quick. And so, you know, Vanguard got put on hold for a little bit. And this was already sort of in the uh, pipeline. And so we were just kind of like, okay, well, this could run next. And um, uh, uh, I think Eric wants to um, do more, a few, some more reprints of, of some of the older stuff. I don't know how, how much, but... Um, Probably from time to time we'll see some more stuff like this. That's cool. That's good news about Frank. Any time you hear about Frank getting more, you know, artist-related work is a good thing. He's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he does really good work, so I'm, you know, he definitely deserves it. Yeah. So, so that's uh, that. Yep, that's that issue 182. Definitely. Fantastic. Uh, an issue if you're if you're a uh, well, who am I talking to? If I'm saying if you're not a Savage Dragon fan, check it out. <laughs> but uh, if you if you know anyone who might get interested in good superhero comics, I recommend stuffing this book in their hands, this issue in their hands. I totally Amen. agree with that. Word. <laughs> Word. <laughs> so um, Love next it. episode is going to be a bit of a special episode for a couple of reasons. Fantastic. We have officially survived a, a, an entire year. As a podcast. They said it couldn't be done. They did say that. In fact, I <laughs> think I said that. I said that. Oh. I think everybody I'm says sorry. it every episode. You guys start and you're like, this is probably going to be the last time we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. How, how, can you, how can a podcast survive following only one title, they said? They were wrong. No, it's we cool. Actually, that... We published episode zero to the web on November 13th. So. I'm eating cake on that day. <laughs> More than usual, I mean. And as a special treat <laughs> for our one-year anniversary, we're going to have Eric Larson on again, which is always a good time. And I don't want to hype it up, but he dropped some bombs that make Hiroshima look like a parking lot fireworks show. Don't tell them we already recorded it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> then the few, that's what I imagine it's going to be like. What are anyway. you talking about? It's going to be a really hard-hitting, in-depth interview. I like how it's just showing the tough like, Raven's face. Like, you could just see Take him the task. Getting the tough where, answers. Where do you stand on Rwanda? So, yeah, we got that planned for next time. So, come on back. Cool. It's going to be amazing. The Savage Fincast is a part of the Gutter Trash Network and the Image Addiction family of podcasts. It can be found at either fincast.guttertrash.net or imageaddiction.net